0: So good to see you guys. I was feeling weird because I was like going up to everybody and just like hugging them. So I'm, I'm glad to see you guys. Um, you guys look awesome. I'm like meeting all these people who've like gotten in crazy good shape and awesome stuff. So it's, uh, it's fun to be back here. Um, I might be one of the dumbest people you know right now because I'm going to venture into a string of teachings that nobody in their right mind would ever do. <laughs> And uh, smart, educated people avoid these topics, but I am neither of those, so I feel I'm unusually qualified to come before you, and to bring up um, some issues that uh, I think are an epidemic in our faith, and they're not salvation-related topics. The the next several weeks that I teach, I'm going to be picking apart these ones. They're not things that are going to change your salvation. They're not going to change a whole lot of things in there, but. What I believe is that they will alter how you make decisions in life and how you perceive God. And uh, these are positions of my own. And don't take my word for it. Anything that you see or hear or say, like, go look it up yourself. Like, don't, I don't have a PhD. I don't have any of those things. I just, I'm bringing before you what I hope is a full and thorough explanation of the word of these topics. And I leave it to you guys to be the ultimate ones in charge of your beliefs and how it applies to you. And my goal is to give you full context, a three dimensional look at these topics. And so, some of the topics I'm going to venture to cover um, are very exciting. Let me give you just a teaser of some of them, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do tonight. Uh, why some people get healed and why others don't. On um, the theology of miracles and the miraculous. Can Christians have demons and be possessed of the demonic? Can you lose salvation? That will be a fun one. Predestination. Is it all predetermined or are we determined ourselves? The role and significance of women in the church and leadership. That will be fun. The role of angels and and, uh, dreams. Uh, Does God send sickness and bad circumstances to teach you? And what the unforgivable sin is? So I don't know what on earth I'm doing right now. But here we go. Now, why are we doing this is is because right now I am passionate about examining destructive theology. There's something that got in me over the past year that got me just really um, just drawn to the tough scriptures that, that people kind of have a half truth. And what it does is that since it's never been fully brought to light, it creates a false truth. And you can have a verse that out of context and without full disclosure actually becomes a lie. And so as I began to look these different topics up, I I thought, Lord, like this is not really what I should be doing. This is, you know, I should teach on something much more simple or or something else. And and the Lord brought me to 2 Timothy 2.7 and says, I will give you understanding in everything. Now, I don't need to understand why things happen. There's a difference between understanding why things happen, but also having an understanding about the the issue in view. So tonight I'm going to kick off... Uh, tonight with, can you open doors in spiritual realms that give Satan access to you? My goal tonight is to redeem two of the most hurtful and harmful stories in the entire Bible that color the goodness of God. And if you want to follow along, I'm going to be in Luke 22 and the book of Job. If you want to learn something tonight and you want to like check, look at the scriptures, pull it up if you like, we'll have it on the screen. I will email in these notes. We'll have it online. All that good stuff. But here's what I want to answer tonight is, does God collaborate with Satan in his access to you? Did Jesus give Satan permission to attack Peter? One of the stories. The next story, did Job have sin that became an open door for destruction? And who is really responsible for Job's destruction? So that's what we're going to hopefully answer tonight. You guys with me? So I want to also acknowledge two uh, teachers that have really helped influence me in these areas, Robert Morris and Paul Ellis. So if you follow those guys or reading their stuff and something sounds familiar, it's because they're amazing and um, I've been inspired by them. And next week, uh, follow up from this, I'll talk about demon possession and can a believer be in bondage to Satan and the demonic. Very exciting stuff. Feel-good message of the year, right? So... (laughs) We're not going to do like our Valentine's Day like message. Just don't suck at relationships. Amen. The end and that's your (laughs) Valentine's Day message. So um, before we jump into this, we need to ask um, about how does Satan gain access to you? And like a thief, a thief enters through a vulnerability and a weakness, an open door if you will, an unlocked window, an unattended area, and at the outset all sin. All sin opens a door. You need to know that. All sin, whether it's pornography, pornography opens a door, lust opens a door, drug and alcohol opens a door, lying opens a door, gossip opens doors. Every sin opens doors. But there's one sin that's really, really sneaky to mature Christians. And I look at us and I think that we are an exceptional community of people who are hungry for God, who have the word. But there's this one sin that I want to cover that seems to be the hidden one that catches people before they even know it's there, and it's the sin of pride. There's nothing more threatening to a Christian than the open door of pride. And I'm going to talk about two definitions of pride. And I'm going to talk about our two biblical heroes who went awry. The first definition of pride is trusting in your own ability and strength. Now, right when I say, um, you know, pride, you know, it's like, oh the open door of sin and like you know, you can kinda of feel like people are like, uh oh, you know, <laughs> like, what is it? Is it mine? And then you say pride, like, oh, I am so proud I have n- I don't have any pride. It's great. Talk all you want, you know. It's amazing how many Christians are actually proud that they don't have pride. But we're gonna look at this. So we're gonna jump to Luke twenty two. And talk about trusting in your own ability and strength in that angle of pride. And this is Jesus talking to Peter in this passage, still named Simon. He says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. A very difficult passage if we don't know what it means. Some people point to this verse and say, look, we have a theology that says Jesus barters with your well-being with Satan, and he gives permission, and he collaborates with the devil. So let's unpack this. If you have an NIV, your NIV price says asks permission, right? He asks to sift Peter like wheat. But this is kind of sloppy translation, and if, if your Bible there, if you have it on your phone or wherever, you might notice that... Um, Permission is italicized. In the NASB it says demand and it says permission in italics. Why is that? It's because the word permission is actually not in the Greek. The word permission is not in the Greek. It actually should say that Satan demanded to sift you like wheat. Now as we look at this, it's going to completely change the way that we look at this and understand it. And that word there is a Greek word, exciteo. Listen to me getting all Greek on you. It's like excited. And then if you ever hear like Sal, Sensen, and I were like, Ayo, you know, like, so maybe I'm like, yeah, I'm super excited. Ayo, you know, like it's exciteo, right? (laughs) You're not going to forget it now. That is the word for demanded. But remember, permission is not in there. So exciteo, what does that mean? It means seeking access and getting it. It means to demand of and receiving Now, the question begs, did Jesus give permission and access to Peter? No. How do we know? Well, first, let's just think about this. Jesus does not just, like, hang, like, Jesus is not Satan's accountability partner. Like, they don't really, like, hang out and, like, yeah, what are you up to? Who are you pillaging this week? You know, he's not in, like, this, like, buddy-buddy-chummy relationship. They don't hang out and talk And Jesus is not describing a conversation he had with Satan, as it sounds. When Jesus says, Satan has asked for permission to sift you, it makes it sound like they had a dialogue. What is actually going on here is Jesus, listen here, Jesus has not had a dialogue with Peter. Jesus is informing Peter of the demonic assignment now placed on his life. We think of that, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, He's saying, Peter, there's an assignment for you. So how do we know that Jesus truly is not bartering with, with, with Satan here? And the first thing is the demonic assignments, all demonic assignments are actually linked to what God says about you. If you remember Jesus with John the Baptist and the, the dove came down, the voice opened up, and this is my son who I'm well pleased. Jesus walked out into the wilderness to be tempted. And the very first thing that Satan brought to him is like, if you are the son of God. The demonic assignment followed Jesus' identity. So here we have um, the prophetic. I believe that Jesus gave a prophetic declaration to Peter that in the prophetic realm, the spirit realm, he's like, "I'm I'm into Satan's frequency, and he has demanded to sift you like wheat." But if we rewind, what happened prior to this? Jesus had just declared Peter as rock. Right? He's like, "Peter, you are a rock." And Jesus gave the parables of what a house built on sand versus a house built on the rocks and the storms and the rains and all that other stuff. And Jesus said, I will build my church upon this rock. A rock is steadfast, steady, and secure. Those are the declarations of Peter when Jesus says, you are a rock and I'll build my church. Now think about what the demonic assignment now is on Peter. The demonic assignment on Peter was to convert him from a rock and into sand, Something that is subject to rain and storms, that is insecure, and that will run as we see. The second reason we know that Jesus is not bartering with Satan is that Jesus doesn't have a personality disorder. Amen. Amen. Jesus is like, he's healing everybody of all these things. Like, he's taking care of home first. Like, he's not kind of on like a, he's all fine upstairs. And this is what it means, is that Jesus is not going to give you, a prophetic declaration about you, your identity, what you're going to do, and then give Satan permission to come against that. If you think about this, where Peter just receives from Jesus, you are a rock, I'll build my church, and then Jesus comes over here and like, okay, Satan, I'll, I'll give you Peter. Jesus isn't going to do that. He is not going to prophesy your future, your identity, and then enlist someone to come against that. Are you with me? Jesus is telling Peter the plans of the enemy. It's kind of like um, a friend who kind of gets you in, like the inside details that maybe your girlfriend might break up with that that night, you know? You're kind of like, oh, thanks for the details. Like, you can kind of like mentally prepare. So Jesus is, not that I have experienced that at all. (laughs) Amen by myself. Jesus is telling Peter what the plan is. Now, remember I said that, that word of Jesus saying that say he wants to sift you, that's a prophetic word. That's not the prophetic word I would like to receive, but it's a prophetic word in nature. And a prophetic word, listen here, is not for knowing what is going to happen. It's not simply just that, though it helps. A prophetic word is not simply for knowing what is going to happen. It is also so that you have an explanation after it's happened. Bless the child. Let me say that again. A prophetic word is not simply used to know what's going to happen. It's to give you an explanation of what happened afterwards. Why is that important? As we will see, Peter totally blows it. If, if most of us would say, like, man, we just, we defrauded the Christ. We're going to go and beat ourselves up. Peter would have blamed himself. He might have even committed suicide. We have no idea. But because of the prophetic word, because Jesus prophesied his identity that you will get back up, you will survive, and Satan is after you, he knows two things, that Satan is to blame and had access to him, and the second is that he would rise again. Peter knew who was responsible, and then because of Jesus said, he, he knew that he would rise again. The other reason we know Jesus did not collaborate with Satan is Jesus' response. He says, but I have prayed for you. Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like we, but I have prayed for you. Jesus would not give someone permission and then go pray against that person right afterwards. It's like someone like knocks on door. Hello? Hey, thief here. Hey, thief, come on in. Um, Lord, please don't let the thief steal anything now that I've let him in my house. <laughs> That's essentially what has taken place here when we think that Jesus says, Yeah, whatever. I'm going to give Satan permission and then I'm going to pray against Satan. It makes zero sense. Are you guys following me? Yeah. Can we redeem this passage? Yes. Exciteo. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Satan demanded access to Peter and received it. What does that tell us? That there was an open door in Peter. You think that Satan, I mean, Satan's one person, right? But he's got armies, he's got demons, he's got workers, you know, he's got people doing his stuff. When Satan says, I demand access to him, I believe what that is, that's not revealed here, but I believe what it is, it's an assignment for all the demonic to go after him. And that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think all of us each individually have Satan kind of knocking on our door. He's pretty busy. But all of his friends are, right? But Satan is continually, we need to know this Satan is continually asking permission into your life from you. Satan is continually asking permission into your life. From you, And he will have as much permission as you permit him to have. So what was Peter's open door? He trusted in his own strength. I believe it was pride. It was pride based upon the conversation that just happened before this. Luke left out the dialogue here, but Matthew, Mark, John, they all have it. Let me just read it to you. This is prior to this. It says in Mark fourteen twenty-seven, And Jesus said to them, You will all, everyone say all, You will all fall away because it is written, this means that there's a biblical prophecy from the Old Testament coming up, I will strike down the shepherd, which is Jesus, and the sheep, which is the disciples, shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows twice, you will deny Uh, You yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, and that word insistently, he basically, you know, means Peter got all pissed and like up in arms and says, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus reads an Old Testament prophecy saying that all his sheep will scatter. Peter says, well, not all, you know, because I'm in the picture, you know. (laughs) And Jesus is like, what part of all don't you understand? It's like, I got an Old Testament prophecy to back it up, pal. But Peter says, no, I think you're wrong. Others might, but not me. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Can you imagine you are walking with Jesus? Jesus says, I shall be killed and raised on the third day. Jesus, like, come on, come on, Jesus. It is never going to happen. Like, Jesus sits, no, Peter sits Jesus down and rebukes him. you got to be feeling really good about yourself in order to rebuke the Savior of the world. You might have a pride issue if you're instructing the creator of the heavens about what's going to happen. You must be feeling really good. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The four worst words you can hear from the mouth of Jesus. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. This is right after Jesus says, you're a rock and I'll build my church. And Peter's like, I liked what you called me before. (laughs) But there's a little bit of theology in here. Jesus looked right at a man. Jesus looked right at a man and addresses Satan. Inside a man. We'll get to that in a little bit. Jesus wasn't saying Peter was Satan. Satan. But Peter's like, I don't know what this means yet. The book hasn't been written. I haven't heard a message on what this means. But, what was, but Jesus was responding from what was coming out of Peter. Peter affirms his sufficiency, his superiority by rebuking Jesus. This is pride. Further proof. When when the people came to arrest Jesus, they brought an entire crowd. It says they brought a Roman garrison to come out to arrest Uh, Jesus, and one of the disciples cut off one of the soldier's ears. Which disciple was it? Peter, yeah. How do you cut off a man's ear? The only way you cut off a man's ear if you aim for his head and you miss. (laughs) Peter is not a marksman. You notice you never see Peter catching fish unless Jesus is around? I don't think he was like Zorro here and he's like, you know, teaching someone a lesson by cutting off the tip of their ear. No, he like grabbed a sword and just like, you know, a a Roman garrison, right? We don't know exactly how many that is, but some believe it's like around like a hundred or so people. So here comes like a hundred soldiers, the chief priests and scribes and and Peter's like, shink, you know, and like goes after one of these guys. Tell me that Peter doesn't have pride, self sufficiency, self trust, all in himself. And when Jesus says, Satan has demanded to shift, to sift you, it's because Satan had a right. Peter, you opened the door. I'm not granting him permission, you've granted him permission. You have an open door of pride. Trust in your own strength has granted him access. Now, here's what's silly is shortly after that, about Peter, you know trying to take on 100 people all by himself. He goes after that and then he freaks out and denies Jesus three times in, in, in front of a teenage waitress. The man who's so valiantly, I will never leave you, has like a 16-year-old waitress and like freaks out and denies Jesus. And not only that, Peter uh, begins cursing, swearing, and yelling. He completely shifts character. We're going to talk about that next week about being under the influence, about how you begin to act out of your nature, out of your character, from the demonic access into you. And this is Peter right there in the flesh. He is under the influence of the enemy. And many strong believers walk into this exact same trap as Peter. They have been walking with the Lord for a long time, and they trust their own strength against temptation, and then they get blindsided. The strongest believers, they don't they don't kind of like slowly digress. What you'll find is like you'll have strong believers who are, are getting to church all the time. They have every Bible verse like highlighting their... And they will like burn their life down in like an instant. It's crazy. You are like you had everything. You knew everything. You knew all the Bible verses. Why? It's because there is this, this, this um, self-sufficiency. It's this self-belief of my own ability and my own strength that gets overestimated. And that's the open door for Satan. Are you guys good? Can we talk about the second one? The second aspect of pride is this is trusting in your own righteousness. The first is trusting in your own ability and strength. I can do it. My daughter um, is two-ish. And uh, she's talking up a storm. And so I want to help her with, with things. You know, like, you know, let's, let's walk down like this steep thing. And she has this funny saying, that she wants to say, um, I want to do it, but she says, my do it. So you're like, Scarlett, let me, let me help me. No, my do it, you know. She's, my do it, Daddy. And she wants to have all in her own. So that's the first one. The second one is trusting in your own righteousness. Trusting in your own righteousness is an open door. Now, on the story of Job, we're going to talk about Job. I wish I could spend like 80 weeks on just Job because I could. Um, I, it's one of the most twisted and used passages against the goodness of God. But think about this. Somehow we have taken the story of Job and made God the villain and Job is the victim. Think about that for a moment. Every person who's familiar with the story of Job, and I'm going to detail it here, comes away thinking that God was the villain and Job was the victim. Job, you know, he didn't do anything. He just, you know, had to coming in. God just felt like he could and just, you know, smited him. If that's the past tense of smite. Smoten? what is it? Smote, whatever. Smited, whatever. Okay, Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Check this out. Satan answered the Lord, says, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Remember what the Bible says about Satan, that he's a roaring lion prowling around seeking someone to destroy and devour? The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. 95% 95% of all people get the story wrong. They attribute the coming calamity against Job from God. Do you notice that God did not acknowledge? God didn't even like bar, didn't even like acknowledge what Satan said. All he said is that, behold, he's in, he's in your power. Now, why do we have an issue with that? Is that any different than our circumstances right now? Does anybody feel like Satan does not have access to them in this world? If Satan didn't have access to believers, we wouldn't have passages such as um, put on the full armor of God and resist the devil. People have a big issue that suddenly in the book of Job is the only time in history where Satan had access to believers. It's just not true. But Satan is the one responsible for all destruction, everything lost, from Job was from the hand of Satan. Are you guys with me? So there's nothing unique about Satan's access to Job that we presently do not have. Satan's objective has not changed, amen? He's not like, oh, maybe we should lighten up on those people. They've kind of had a rough year. Like, he's not, like, considering that. His motive and objective is the same today as it was back then. And remember, when God says that he is in your, your power... The Bible describes Satan as the ruler of the world, right? I don't believe God is acknowledging a transfer of power. He says, behold. And that essentially means like recognize what's already there. I believe what God is saying is that you're the ruler of that world. You actually can do anything you want to him. And when we understand that, the whole story changes but the theology of the book of Job over centuries became God gives and takes away. And we actually don't know why. That's the other vexing issue about Job is that God gives and takes away and we don't know why, you know. But Job was smart. In, in chapter 1, verse 32, he says, or it says about him, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Let me say that again. Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Translation. When you attribute wrongdoing to God, it's sin. Every time that you put the signature of God on cancer, on calamity, on destruction, that's sin. Where did we get permission to say that God is, you know, He's mysteriously working his way by sending disease and hurricanes and earthquakes? It's not. It is not. If we don't get that, then, then we're in big trouble. We have got a schizophrenic God who's going to smite us one day and love us the other. It's one way or the other, but we miss this all together. Instead, the takeaway from the book of Job should be that there is an enemy that is prowling around like a lion seeking destruction. He seeks to kill and destroy. And if he finds an open door in your life, he's going to take it. Now, for 31 chapters, three of Job's friends try to comfort him. Over and over and over again, the friends try to ask, is there an open door? And over and over and over again, Job says, nope, nope, nada, nilch. I have done this. I've done that. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. Over and over again. Chapter 32. It goes on for a long time. Chapter 32, uh, verse 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. So these three men stopped answering Job because, check this out, because he was righteous in his own eyes. The three friends stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of that family, <laughs> became very angry with Job for justifying himself, keyword next, rather than God. What does that mean? It means that every turn of Job's calamity, he defended himself. He justified himself instead of God. Job was asking the wrong question the entire time. Job is asking, why God? And he's asking the wrong question. Instead, he should be like, where is Satan? That should have been the question. It should have been like, Satan, when I get my hands on your pointy little tail and your, your horns, I'm going to kick your butt. I'm going to kick the hell out of you. Literally, Right? If if we would have had the Holy Spirit in those days, that was a literal translation, Job would have been revealed that Satan was the author of the calamity. But Job laid down, and he felt sorry for himself. Elihu continues. 33, this is chapter 33, verse 8 and 9. But you have said in my hearing, this is Elihu talking to Job, I heard the very words, I am pure, I have done no wrong, I am clean and free from sin. What Job said. Who is the only one without sin? For that to be true, Job would have had to be Jesus. And Elihu concludes with this, this is chapter 36, verse 3. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, meaning God, and I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. Elihu is the only friend who got it. He's like, you got knowledge from some other source. I'm fetching knowledge from God, and I will attribute righteousness to my maker and only my maker. So finally here, Elihu calls Job out on his self-righteous pride. Job declared he was righteous because what he had done and did not deserve what was happening. But we are not righteous for what we do. We're righteous for who we are. We have the blood of Christ over us. In Philippians 3:9, it says, I don't have a righteousness of my own, but I have the righteousness of Christ. The only righteousness anybody has is because the blood of Jesus is over you. The moment we start justifying ourselves and what happens to us based on what we do, we mess the whole entire picture and goodness of God up. But Job says, No, compare me to anyone, is what he said. That's what pride does, isn't it? Pride says, Compare me. It justifies yourself by comparison to others. And God finally enters the picture. God has been silent. And he finally enters the picture in response to all that Job was saying. Are you guys good? You follow me? I know we're, we're blazing through a lot of story here. And, and God shows up, chapter 38, verse 2. Who is this that obscures my plans? Everyone say plans. With words without knowledge. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Translation, what nincompoop is talking? <laughs> I found out today that nincompoop is a real word. My spell checker said, correct. I'm like, really? And I looked it up and it's actually a real word. <laughs> now you know, that's all that you're going to take away from tonight. No. God is saying, who is twisting my plans? without knowledge? Who is speaking about things that they don't even know what they're talking about? And God and Job have a great exchange, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And God concludes his charge against Job with this. This is 40 verse 8. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? God is saying, you would rather blame me and justify yourself. Rather than saying, I don't know. Rather than saying, maybe there is a demonic presence that is taking from me. But God says, you would rather blame me than have any other explanation. Job replies. This is key. Because remember, we sing songs about what Job said up to now. We make theologies and doctrines about what Job said to now. Anybody can say, Oh, well, Job said it, the Lord gives and takes away. And I know I've like beat this drum a couple of times in the past. But here is what Job says in chapter 42, and this is verse three and five. Job speaking, you asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. This is a remarkable thing. That all the, the things we've we've made theology out of what Job said, right here, he's like, I did not even know what I was saying. How dare I? Out of my ignorance, I said things too wonderful for me, things that were beyond my compre- comprehension. I obscured your plans and had no idea what I was talking about. And you notice that here, Job confesses he's he not the model believer we would like to ascribe to. He says, I have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. We need to take Job off the pedestal. I'm not trying to beat up Job maybe a little bit. <laughs> I'm just trying to say Job is just like us. He got it wrong. But when we cherry pick the story, we come up with crazy weird theology. We come up with really difficult questions. We come up with like, wow, is God really good? Or is he in the mood just to like hand me over to Satan, and have all the destruction happen to me just to teach me a lesson? And we understand that all of the destruction comes from Satan, that Satan had the power then, he has the power now. And now the role for us is with the Holy Spirit is to say, what in, hmm, what is going on? <laughs> what is this that's happening to me? Is this, is this, is there a door open in my life? The calamity, the challenge, the, the issues, is, is there a door open in my life that there's a secret pathway that's getting to me? One. Two, he's just a lion, He's roaring around. You actually don't need to do anything bad to deserve something bad that happens to you. And three, you just were dumb, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) We make stupid things. I make stupid decisions way more frequently than I like to admit. I'm not like, oh, Satan, you know why? I was like, well, it's kind of a dumb thing to do. And when we understand that God is always good, good, because John 10.10 clearly illustrates this. That's our theme verse, that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I have come to give life. There's one person who's taking and one person who's giving. Let me have the band come up. Let me just close with this, is that I've seen a lot of mature believers trust in their own righteousness. I've seen a lot of people living righteous, but um, but they let their righteousness become a door for Satan to come after them. So let me just come back to some of the questions. Does God collaborate with Satan on his access to you? No. Right? Everybody get that? Did Jesus give Satan permission to defeat Peter? No. Who was responsible for Job's destruction? Satan. Did Job have sin that became an open door for destruction? Maybe. Because Satan doesn't necessarily need an open door to come after you. It makes it easier for him. It makes you a target. It makes you available for it. But I would say this, in my own perspective of Job, is that uh, his self-righteousness blinded Job to who and what was behind his own destruction. That he was like, I'm so righteous that if I do great things, nothing bad will happen to me. That was Job's pride, his self-righteousness. And if you have that, if I do all good things and only good things will happen to me, you're setting yourself up for a rude awakening. And worse, when you say, I do good things and bad things happen to me, what is God trying to teach me? You begin to completely pollute your faith. I think uh if Job would have had the Holy Spirit with him, because we need to remember that too. Like we don't, Job had, a, he just had part of the, the gig. He had like some of the Bible. We have the Holy Spirit, which is infinitely better. And we, we shouldn't equate our responses with Job. No, Anybody who says, "Ah, oh, I just really relate to Job. I want to like slap you across the face. It's like, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't try and model your, don't do what he did. That was a really, that didn't work out very well for him. But if Job would have had the Holy Spirit, perhaps he could have called down fire on that red little twit called the devil. Maybe he could have enlisted people to intercede for him. Maybe they could have had vision and visibility into what was going on. I actually believe with that that perhaps Job in his self-righteousness prolonged his destruction because he couldn't see what happened. And that's what self-righteousness does to you. It blinds you To what's really going on outside of yourself. Self righteousness blinds you to what's going on outside of yourself. Because in 1 John 3 8, it says, Jesus appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That's it. You guys good? Amen. Let's all stand.